Hey everybody, happy Chiefs playoff weekend. Sam Mellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star, and I am grateful for you listening to the 39th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. 39 is, of course, if you can believe this, the average number of points scored by the Chiefs during last year's Super Bowl run, which is both ridiculous uh, and it's also true. Anyway, our goal today, just like always, be worth your time. This week, we're going to do that with a look at both this weekend's AFC playoff games and the future of an apparently loaded conference. Another great batch of questions. We're going to talk about everything from the confidence of Chiefs fans, the betting line, the defense, killing wolves, you know, just <laughs> give us a chance. Uh, then we're going to finish with some insight on this weekend's the, the Chiefs-Browns game with someone who knows the Browns better than anyone who does not work for them. The Star is running a special promotion for the Sports Pass right now, a dollar a month for three months for all of our sports coverage, including more original Chiefs content than you can find anywhere else. You can find that on our website or just reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I will send you the link. I appreciate everybody who's listened and written in asking for that link. Your support means everything to me and the people I work with, so thank you. Okay. Holy crap, the the playoff games this weekend. Um, you know, somehow, like, I think the one that I'm least interested in is the one with the two most prolific quarterbacks in NFL history. You know what I mean? It's just loaded. And, you know, just like last weekend, this is probably the order of the games you'd want if you're a Chiefs fan, or at least the games on Saturday um, that you want, because I think you'll see the Chiefs' next two opponents in those games. Um, Jared Goff, the Rams quarterback, his status is unknown, at least as I'm recording this, and that's obviously a big deal. Uh, But either way, that Rams-Packers game at 3.30 on Saturday should be a heck of a ride to watch Aaron Rodgers in that offense against one of the best defenses in the league. That matchup, that's sort of, you know, a football nerd's dream, right? Um, Talent all over the place. Two schemes that each do a really good job of creating numbers, advantages, and specific spots on the field. I think the Packers are going to win. I think the Packers will win again next week, too, no matter who they play. But for me, that's that's a sort of a plan your day around it sort of game. The Saturday night game is the other AFC game, uh, Ravens and the Bills. I love this matchup. And not just because it's a team, you know, everybody thought would be the Chiefs' biggest rival or biggest threat, I guess, in the AFC before the season, playing the team that everyone thinks is the Chiefs' biggest threat now. You know, that Ravens defense really does appear to have come together and gotten to a level it didn't quite ever get to last year. And I mean that emotionally, schematically, everything. Um, There's an attitude in that group. And I mean that in a good way. There's an attitude. And I I just, I can't wait to see what they're able to do against Josh Allen, who has spent most of the last two months or so looking like the Terminator, right? The, The Bills are a two and a half point favorite in this game. And I get the sense that most people have been, you know, writing them into the AFC championship game for a while now. But Um, I like the Ravens here. You know, Lamar Jackson threw sort of a WTF (laughs) interception against the Titans. Um, That that ball was a dead duck as soon as it left his hands. But, you know, other than that one throw, he looked a lot like an MVP. And, you know, the Ravens still have to prove it. And, you know, this game will largely determine how they're thought of going forward. But, you know, I see more from Jackson and, you know, just sort of a better balanced team to make me believe, you know, in them, in the Ravens than what I see from the Bills. And I say this all with at least a little hesitation, right, because the Ravens really should have scored more points against the Titans. That defense is soft um, last week. But and, you know, I, I mean, no disrespect to Stefan Diggs, who I think is incredible or anyone else with the bills it's just the ravens look like a more complete team to me and 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 i believe in both those quarterbacks i think those are both superstars so look the game you all and 
you know, we all, I should say, but the game that, that we're all most invested in is, is obviously the Chiefs and the Browns. And but the analysis on this is, is all over the place. You know, you can get it anywhere. And I, I want to get to something else here before we, before we break. So just somewhat quickly, I believe the Browns can beat the Chiefs. I want to be clear that I think the Chiefs will win. And I even think it's more likely that Chiefs win a blowout than it is that the Browns win by any score. But the Browns, this is not just like a bunch of punks coming in here. That offensive line is going to protect Baker Mayfield. And it's going to give two really good running backs. Uh, You know, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb are both better than anyone the Chiefs have. Uh, But those guys are going to have some lanes, too. Jarvis Landry is even better than I think a lot of people think. Uh, Miles Garrett is going to get to Mahomes. Um, You know, there's a puncher's chance there because, you know, the Browns are capable of scoring with the Chiefs. And that's not... Something that a lot of teams can say. The Browns have won. This is crazy, but it's true. The Browns have won five games this year while giving up 30 or more points. You know, they they can win a shootout. But um, anyway, th- this feels like the sort of game where, you know, maybe the Chiefs get out to a two-score lead and it you know, looks like a potential blowout. And then the Browns start to come back, you know, sort of the, the same rhythm of game that we saw the Chiefs play against the Bucks and the Saints and the Dolphins. But the, the, the thing that turns as the Browns are pressing a little bit and, you know, maybe Baker Mayfield goes, you know, too much risk and not enough reward, right? And we see Tyron Matthew make a, a, a big interception and the Chiefs end up winning by 10 or so. That, that's what it feels like to me anyway. But, you know, instead of going through all the potential scenarios of that game, I'm pretty stuck here about what the AFC is going to look like, you know, what it looks like now and what it's going to look like going forward. Because, you know, we talked last week and, you know, in previous shows, too, about how good the AFC is right now. And I know Blair wrote about this some this week, but it is wild enough to emphasize Baker Mayfield is 25 years old and he is the oldest quarterback left in the AFC. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, all these guys, 25 or younger. And, you know, it goes deeper than that. Deshaun Watson is 25. Justin Herbert is 22. Um, The Jaguars are about to draft Trevor Lawrence. You know, the Jets may or may not take, you know, Justin Fields or Zach Wilson second overall. So, you know, let's let's set the Jets aside for a moment. And it's a point of fact that, you know, half of the AFC has a star quarterback 25 years old or younger. And, And someone... And if I'm honest, I probably think it's Baker Mayfield, but someone from a group of Mahomes, Lamar, Watson, Herbert, Lawrence, Josh Allen, Joe Borrow, Baker Mayfield. One of those guys is the AFC's eighth best quarterback, 25 or younger, right? It's crazy. And, and, and then you also like think about a team like the Colts, like so well run, a really good roster, balanced, stars, solid players all over the place, um, or the Titans. They were in the AFC Championship last year, and with a different set of breaks, could have been back this year. Uh, I mean, just the, the AFC is just really loaded, and that makes it brutal. Um, by the way, for a team, you know, like the Raiders or the Broncos or even the Patriots going forward. And I know you're all feeling very sorry for those teams, right? But it's pretty wild to think of who the Chiefs might be elbowing with, you know, deep into the playoffs for the next five or 10 years. Uh, You know, to me, it's still the Ravens, um, you know, long term. I I just think that that is going to emerge as, you know, the the primary threat in the AFC to the Chiefs. You know, they they are the best combination of superstar quarterback and, and strong organizational structure, you know, the Bills have closed that gap, and, and they might be a lot of people's answer, but for me, they're number three. You know, the Ravens just seem to have a lot of talent, 
and a lot of smart people making decisions with that talent. You know, maybe I'm acting like maybe this is just sort of a, a prisoner of the moment kind of thing because, you know, the right hire can make a world of difference. But, you know, it's hard right now not to think the Texans are going to waste Deshaun Watson. And that happens. That opens some opportunity for other teams. And there's a strong, like, sort of second tier here, you know, after Chiefs, Ravens, Bills. Like, there's a strong second tier, you know, the Browns, the Chargers, potentially even the, the, the Bengals and the Jaguars, too. Although I don't love the Urban Meyer hire. I got to just put that out there. But anyway, this is really something else, you guys. You know, we talk and forget that the Chiefs talk a lot about a potential dynasty and it is all there for them. But if you look around, man, they're they going to have to earn it against a loaded field. That's and, and that's how this thing turns out. So this really is. If you think about it, this sounds hyperbole, but it's a matter of fact, I believe. Like this is the best, most fun most interesting time in the history of the world to be a Chiefs fan. It really is. Um, I hope we don't take that for granted. Okay, before we move on to the rest of the show, this podcast is free, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to ask you one more time to join us behind the paywall. We work hard to bring you information and perspectives you can't get in other places. We have the most journalists working the Chiefs beat, the most combined experience around the team, the most perspectives. Please help us out. Give the Sports Pass a try. Again, you can try for a dollar a month for the first three months or $30 for a year. You can find those links online or reach out to me, Twitter, Facebook, email, whatever, and I'll send them along. All right, we're going to uh, take a quick break and back with some questions. If you would like to participate in next week's show, please call 816-234-4365. Leave your first name, where you're calling from, and almost literally any question. Put the number in your phone call anytime, 816-234-4365, or as the great reader Michael points out, 816-BEG-IDLE. Aloha, Sam. My name is John, and I'm 36. I'm calling from Hawaii, but originally from Missouri. First off, I enjoy you and the KC Star sports coverage, best in the business. My first memory is Montana getting hurt, and like many others have suffered over the years. Now that we're winning and have the unicorn at quarterback, I can't stop reading and watching hype videos. The question is, should I feel super confident that we're going to run it back, or should I prepare for a previous heartbreak? Aloha. Take care, Sam. To John, everybody else listening, uh, please, you know, say it with me. Nobody can tell you how to fan, right? Um, I really do believe the way that we approach these things has a million times more to do with us than it does the teams we follow. If if it's your nature to worry, you're going to worry. And if it's your nature to be confident or optimistic, then that's what you're going to do. Uh, you might go into a game feeling different against, like, let's just say the Chargers than you do, you know, a playoff game against the Browns. But I'm guessing that when that game gets muddy and it's back and forth and your team is down by a few, you probably have a similar emotion whether you think your team is better or not. Um, so anyway, again, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you how to be a fan, but I will tell you about the type of fan I hope to be. You know, or, or maybe more usefully, the the type of fan I'm trying to create in our kids, right? Uh, you know, I, I want them to take nothing for granted. Um, I want them to enjoy every play and to have fun and to hopefully somehow balance that with, you know, this understanding that we're still going to have ice cream after the game either way, right? 
Um, you know, I've mentioned here before, you know, our, our first grader is hooked on sports and specifically hooked on football. And, um, you know, my, my point that I've been trying to make is that all these teams are good, you know, and, you know, just because the Chiefs won last year, that doesn't guarantee them anything. And, you know, sort of set the expectations low. And then hopefully that means my wife and I don't have to deal with as much sadness uh, if they lose. You know, maybe the celebration will be a little bit more fun um, if they win. So anyway, that's the strategy. But, you know, look, uh, John, Godspeed to you um, and to us, if if I can say that. And uh, you know what? Here's someone who thinks the Chiefs might be in trouble on Sunday. Hey, Sam Earl from Lamar, Iowa. My first betting line I saw was Chiefs minus nine and a half for the game. We haven't beat a team by more than six since the Jets, the Jets on 11-1, November 1st. So I bet the house on the game, taking the Browns plus points. I'm just wondering what to do with my winnings. Thanks. Earl's out here with jokes, right? Uh, thinking there's any such thing as a sure bet. Um, you know, look, I'm not much of a gambler, um, so I had to look this up. But uh, the Chiefs went 7-9 and nine against the spread in the regular season. So, you know, I, I guess if you believe there's an indication of anything, you're on the right side. Um, you know, but I, I don't know how much any of that has to do with anything that will happen on Sunday. You know, I, I can make a pretty darn good case either way on that spread. You know, um, I can talk about how the, the Chiefs are rested and, you know, the Browns just won their Super Bowl and those safeties are about to get smashed by uh, Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey. And that, you know, sure, Miles Garrett is a freak of nature. But without uh, Olivier Vernon, um, the Chiefs can double Garrett on most snaps and, and just sort of let it fly. So um, if that's all true, then Chiefs by a million. Right. But, um, you know, I could also talk about how the, the Browns are built for a shootout. And that, you know, perhaps the best offensive line in the league can control the line of scrimmage and give two great backs room to work and Baker Mayfield time to throw downfield to Jarvis Landry and Rashad Higgins and, and everybody else. And, that you know, even if the Chiefs get up by a bunch, they have a history of allowing backdoor covers on big spreads. So like you're saying, like, take the points. Right. Um, so I don't know, man. Uh, I am sincerely jealous of your confidence, Earl. Um, I got to say that. But, uh, you know, if you take a request. Get your boy an Apple Watch. Um, I've been dying to get that heart rate monitor, see how well I'm sleeping. Um, so uh, send that along. Uh, here's uh, another Chiefs question. Hey, Sam. This is Chris from Indiana. And I know it's a small sample size, but is it possible the defense is has finished a season that may be better than last year? I'd like, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Thanks. One of the things I love about sports, and and I'm saying sports generally and not Chiefs fans specifically, because I don't think this is unique to any particular fan base, but I just love how all over the place these games make us. You know what I mean? Like similar people with similar backgrounds who've each spent their lives rooting for the same team. They can look at the same team, same game, same players. And, you know, one person is freaked out. And the other is like, you know, Chiefs by a million or whatever. I just, I, I love all of it. Um, but anyway, to your point, it's possible, I guess, maybe. Um, you know, since, look, like since Steve Spagnuolo was hired, I think I've generally been higher on the Chiefs defense than a lot of people. I think some of that was that a lot of fans, understandably, had some muscle memory in the wrong way, um, you know, from the last few Bob Sutton years. But 
you know, the second half of last season, um, that defense transformed from, you know, sort of an anvil that had to be like carried around to, you know, a legit partner. And, you know, it's easy to forget this now, but um, a real reason that they won some games, uh, and I'm thinking the Chargers game in Mexico City and the back half of the Super Bowl and others, uh, a real reason they won was the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, like this year, I mean, I don't know. I, I think this is what Chris is talking about, but I'd, I'd put the Falcons game in that category. You know, that's a game the Chiefs won because of defense, not offense. Um, the offense wasn't near good enough and the defense picked it up and did the job. But, you know, other than that, like maybe the Broncos games, um, I don't know. Like the Patriots and Jets stunk. So I'm not sure that, that you can count those honestly. But, you know, if we can get away from the comparisons, like just for a second, I, I do think it's a point worth considering that it should not be a total shock if the defense, uh, you know, in the playoffs is better than the general perception has been of the defense. You know what I mean? Like Frank Clark is so important here. And, you know, that playoff run last year, there wasn't anybody on either side of the ball who played above their regular season level more during the playoffs than Clark. And that was a huge difference. Like he is one of a handful of guys who the Chiefs just would not have won the Super Bowl without. And, you know, he looked great against the Falcons and he's now had what, like, you know, 21 days, right, to continue to work on his body and present his best self this weekend and, you know, hopefully beyond, hopefully for the Chiefs. So, you know, that's going to tell a lot. And again, the, the Browns have a great offensive line. And if Jones and Clark can't get home, it won't necessarily mean they're not playing well. But, you know, as much as anything else, Clark is who I'm going to be focused on, you know, when the Browns have the ball. Um, Okay, we got time for one last question, um, but only because it's super serious. Hey, Sam, this is Brett in Prairie Village. I saw in the news that a Russian man uh, killed a wolf with his bare hands. I just wanted to quickly get your answer on how many Sam Mellingers would it take to kill a full-grown male wolf with your bare hands. I just thought I would ignore all of your expertise on sports writing and just get to the nitty gritty about killing wolves. Thank you. Bye. I think the answer is three. Um, I think one of the Sams is just going to have to take one for the team and act as sort of a Sam sized chew toy. Um, And then I think it's going to be up to the other two Sams for us to do all the damage that we can while the wolf is, you know, otherwise occupied. Um, We're going to have to be brave. And at least one of us isn't going to make it, but I think three of us together can get it done. Um, And I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, uh, we're back with a conversation with Terry Pluto, who is sort of what I want to be when I grow up. All right, you guys, as promised, here's a conversation with Terry Pluto of the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Terry has written about Cleveland sports for decades. He is from Cleveland. He loves Cleveland. He has spent his adult life writing about Cleveland sports. And I'm not joking what I said earlier. Like, he is what I want to be when I grow up. He, He knows as much about the teams there as anybody. He has respect from the readers he writes for and from the sources he writes about. So anyway, obvious reasons I wanted to talk to Terry this week. And uh, we talked about what people in Cleveland are feeling, you know, after one of the biggest wins in the history of that franchise. And, you know, what the path is for the Browns to beat the Chiefs. We talked about Kareem Hunt. We talked about John Dorsey. We talked about why Baker Mayfield was able to improve so much from last year. Um, Anyways, it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, here we go. Look, like, you know, nothing's normal. 
right now, right? But yeah. um, what is the general mood of, of people in Cleveland just with, with what's going on with the Browns right now? Well, I mean, this is – what makes this even more special is I don't think anyone saw it coming. Usually when <laughs> I say that with the Browns, that means they thought they might be 8-8, eight and eight, but instead they're 3-13 and 13 and everybody's getting fired again. Uh, right. so this is, I think this year, most of us, eight and eight, nine and seven, if everything went right, but, <clears throat> you know, and you know, the moment you're saying if everything goes right, that you're in trouble because it never does. Sure. And a lot of things here actually didn't go right, but they've won a bunch of games anyway, because for the first time, you know, they have that Jimmy Haslam, the owner, talked about, we need to have alignment, alignment. They actually have. Uh, a front office and a coaching staff, you know, playing nice together, and they they do know what they're doing. Uh, so it's – meanwhile, the the one thing that's missing, of course, is the fans. And, uh, by the way, I, I equate – not because just on your, your podcast, but I've done this before. I always equate like Kansas City's fan base, Buffalo, uh, mm-hmm. a couple others with Cleveland. It's the same feel I get when I go to the games there, that it's just yep. the sea of red and everything you would see there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course – that's missing, just like the, the brown and orange here. So it's fun to see the two teams hitting each other, but you know, one team's supposed to be there and the other team's supposed to be playing it for the draft. I haven't written a single word about the draft, and I just feel free <laughs> yeah, right. by that. I know. <laughs> I know that is. And I, I feel like I, uh, I understand what you're saying completely. I agree about uh, there is a certain kinship. Um, I was actually just writing something for um, that will be in Sunday's paper about that, and, and I, I do think about the Browns and and the Bills and the Chiefs. And, I mean, obviously, like, things have changed um, here, um, I mean, the you know, Steelers with, with the quarterback. You know, with the Steelers, you could name some other places. There's probably about 10 of them around the NFL uh, where yeah. it's a special place to go. Um, yeah. I I have heard there's a ton of Browns fans coming here this weekend. Have, have you heard hey, that well, as I, well? They'll, they'll do almost anything. Their team starts to win. They go crazy. And uh, <laughs> so they'll, they'll probably pray. How many, how many people are supposed to be there? There, I think it's twenty-one percent, so it ends up being about fifteen between fifteen and sixteen thousand people. Oh, all right, because they had um, uh, they allowed twelve thousand in here, and uh-huh. they made a ton of noise for that last viewer game and yeah. for uh, one other game. I mean, they were really loud. So I'm yeah. sure it's going to be that way. Whereas, like when the Browns play the Steelers, I mean, you could, you could hear the stuff on the field. It was, you know, they haven't yeah. had that. Yeah, I, I know there's some like actual scientific reasons for this, but I, I've just been really surprised at how loud 15,000 people can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's 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 not it's not 20% of the noise. It, it ends up being a lot more than that. I think they, well, first of all, those folks that got in there are pretty hardcore, and secondly, I think sure. they look around and say, "Well, if anybody's going to make any noise, it's got to be me." There's I'm, yeah, like three <laughs> empty rows here. No, um, that's right. So that's and, right. and and like it's, it's it's so much fun probably in in both cities. I mean the the thing that's unfathomable to me is, you know, it's not quite the same, but, man, it almost felt like the Browns won the Super Bowl um, uh-huh. tonight yeah. because it isn't just, you know, winning their first playoff game since 1994, and it's not just winning, the, you know, beating the Steelers for the, in Pittsburgh for the first time in 17 years or beating Ben, who was, um, uh, what was he, 24-2-1 against the Browns. <laughs> It's crazy. I mean, you just go on and on with this stuff. Yeah, it was just yeah. the, the the Steelers did all the stupid stuff the Browns would do when they would play the Steelers. It was like roll reverse, <laughs> right? And it, it, so that that was what was so much fun about this. And um, 
you know, I'm anxious to see what happens when they play the Chiefs. I mean, who knows? I never thought. I think I picked them 8-8, eight and eight, and I was hoping for 9-7. and seven. And just to see that, you know, how they've grown as a team. I mean, my goodness, it was an unprecedented playoff game. The head coach is in his basement. And Crazy. then because of COVID, on top of that, Bill Callahan, who is like his top assistant, who stands next to him during games, whose office is next to him at the um, uh, the complex, he also had COVID. And the backup offensive line coach, a guy named Scott Peters, he had COVID. So they, they had some guy named Ryan. I don't even remember his last name. He was just some guy that was there. He was, like, running the offensive line, and he kept having linemen get hurt. And they won this game anyway. Right. And they In large organized. part because of the offensive line. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, Blake Hansen or whatever his hands, Blake, I forgot this, his name. Baker Mayfield didn't beat him until the morning of the game because they had to bring him in. They got to get hit with all the offensive line. And, and on top of that, I mean, just to show incredible, the Steelers have gone three, three straight games. With the sack until Sunday night. God. Yeah, it's, it's uh, <laughs> one of the great things about sports, right? Yeah, it, uh, it is. I mean, once in a while, and frankly, for the Browns to beat Kansas City, they needed a game where Mahomes throws the ball to the other team a few times, and there's some fumbles and stuff like that. Yeah. But they do happen now in the NFL, and yeah. I just watch it. Yeah, right. Uh, you've kind of referenced. Uh, Two things that I wanted to ask you. And one is just, look, like I've covered a team. Mahomes changed everything. Um, but mm-hmm. before he got here, I was covering a team that had a fan base that had been trained to expect the worst, right? To, yeah. you know, um, is there a, like, is it a concern at all? You just said like the, it was like the Browns won the Super Bowl. Is there a concern about that was the Super Bowl and, and, you know, maybe a letdown the week after? I don't think for the fans, I mean, for the team, I really don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think the biggest pressure they felt was that last regular season game playing Mason Rudolph and that version of the Steelers right. to get into the playoffs. Cause, I mean, you would hate to lose that game because 10 or 6 and miss the playoffs, you know. Right. Which, by the way, was in their first 20 seasons since 2007. Yeah. Uh, and I thought they played free and easy in that first game against Pittsburgh. Um, and I think they'll do the same thing in Kansas City. I really do because this is this is a and, and if, if you've been around the Chiefs for a while, you probably went through this stage of where you went from what was it two and fourteen before Dorsey got there or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then you start to win, and those first couple of years you start to win and make the playoffs. It's just so much fun, you know, because the expectations haven't hit yet. Mm-hmm. And, and then after that, it becomes it becomes tough, you know, because you're. It's kind of Super Bowl or nothing, you know, that kind of stuff. But those first year or two are so enjoyable, I think, for everybody. Yep. And and I think for the, for the players, too. I mean, they're like, I mean, they're all thinking, nobody thought we would be here. No, they don't think we're that good or what, because they're overplaying all this. But that's fine. You, you can play that card right now because there's some truth to it. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, what, um, you know, Chiefs fans here, it seems like people are all over the place about either they think the Browns line up with the Chiefs' vulnerabilities or they think, you know, the Chiefs are going to blow them out. Like, what do you think? What what, what had happened for the – what's the Browns' path to win, I guess? The Browns win usually by doing this. They turn the team over, not necessarily five times like they did the Steelers, but two or three times because their defense is really weak. Um, And then they score a bunch of points. Yeah, and this team can't score. Uh, I mean, you saw Kareem Hunt. I mean, look, Kareem Hunt, sure. you know how good he was there? 
He's the number two back here. Right. I mean, he is. And yeah. he's really good, but he's the number two back. I mean, Nick Chubb, I'm old enough, I saw Jim Brown. Nick Chubb is the closest thing I've seen in a Cleveland uniform to Jim, to Jim Brown. He really yeah. is. It's yeah. the same powered and speed and being uh, shifty, you know, that, uh, and it just seems like when they chase him, he gets faster. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, he, he's remarkable on that. And then you know Kareem Hunt's game, how versatile it is. I mean, yeah. the big thing is that they were able to uh, – this is Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, and Alex Pentel, the offensive coordinator. They taught Baker Mayfield how to become a winning quarterback, and mm-hmm. they just drilled lack of turnovers. You don't turn it over. You don't turn it over. Because they used to be the gunslinger. Oh, I throw an interception or two, so what? I'll just throw five touchdowns out. You know. Right. Uh, no, and, and that was kind of – I mean, last year he threw um, – he's either 20 or 21 interceptions. 21, and this yeah. Year, yeah. I think he's, this year he's at eight. Yeah. He's at once. It's the bye week. Yeah, yeah, and, and it seems like the, the, he's still making the big plays. It's not, yeah, he, he, he is. Early in the year, they, they really turn, kept yeah. him there. I mean, it was, it was, it was almost a classic thing. You've got to break him down to build him up. I mean, mm. they, they came in, and this is vaping the fancy and felt, and felt. Told them two things. Number one, you're losing weight. Number two, you're going to change your footwork. And, and he received the luggage, a little technical there. And actually, the number three is like, we're going to run the ball a lot, and you got to learn to be under center more. And mm-hmm. so they, they they brought all those things up. They, this is how we're going to play. And what helped Baker, his development, was one, he had a bad year last year, uh, so he got humbled. Secondly, yeah. These guys want Baker to play. I don't. Think, I, I know Andrew Barry doesn't take the job as the GM here unless he thought Baker could at least be a viable NFL quarterback. Right. Uh, I mean, he was so young and, and highly regarded that um, he could wait for something. Because he and also he was in Cleveland before. He knew that if you don't have a quarterback, you're just going to die. And that's right. common sense. But some of these guys think they'll just find a quarterback. I think he was. He goes, if the worst I have is Baker Mayfield, I got a chance. You know, come here to do something. So he believed in Baker, but none of these guys were invested in Baker. You know, they didn't put their name on that pick. Yeah, that that I think was crucial. So uh, he had to be open to all this, and he pushed pushed back some, but not a lot. I give him a ton of credit. Uh, He changed this whole game around. He stopped getting the stupid stuff with Rex Ryan and people in media. He just played, which really helped. Yeah. Um. The uh, um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about for for this is uh, about the guy that did put his name on that pick, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and and John, um, I think here you you know the, the Chiefs were just a freaking abject disaster uh, before mm-hmm. he and Andy Reid got here. And I think people here kind of remember him as uh, you know deep in the roster, made a lot of good personnel decisions, left the team in, in some salary cap, some yeah, pretty bad salary cap trouble. Um, but anyway, how do people? He was only there for two drafts, right? About it was about three years, maybe two drafts. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. yeah he how had, do people uh, think seventeen? No, he had. Uh, yeah, he had the eighteen and nineteen draft. Yeah. Yeah. What? What? What is? How is he thought of in Cleveland? Real mad. Um Because see, he Freddie Kitchens killed him. Putting Freddie Kitchens in as the head coach. Mm-hmm. And and also when people knew that uh, uh, Kevin Stefanski was favored by the analytics branch, you know, headed by Paul DePodesta, and not that Stefanski was that highly regarded, but the moment, I mean, 
by the end of training camp, it looked like Pitts was way over his head. Um, and so that, and they and they knew that, you know, that was John's guy. Yeah. And if you don't, it's kind of like the front office has got to be lined up with the coach, and the coach has got to be lined up with the quarterback, and that's the same thing that works. And obviously, that's what's going on in Kansas City. Um, you know, you go back, and you, but you look at some of the players. Travis Landry is a heck of a player. He's really good. What a great trade that was. Yeah. And actually, yeah. even when he made on, on the same day he made that trade, he brought in um, Tyrod Taylor because he, he didn't want um, – that was even before the draft. He knew that he was going to take Mayfield. He didn't want Mayfield to uh, just walk in here and think the job is his. And mm-hmm. I thought that was why. Mm-hmm. And it, nobody thought Nick Chubb was going that high in the second round. And he told me, John told me, he had a first-round grade on him. And I know the Browns did not like Darnold at all. Uh, John didn't like him. Uh, and he didn't like Rose. He liked Baker. That was his guy uh, all the way. So there are a lot of, you know, but it, it, it struck me is, you know what he really needed? He needed Andy Reid. You know, he would just yeah. bring all these guys in there, and then he would hope that, you know, the coach could short, uh, sort them out. But, you know, poor Freddie was just, just so overwhelmed. And he looked at the fact Freddie called the plays for eight games with Baker the year before, and Baker really took off. But I think that uh, there was a sense around the team that uh, Kitchens owed his job to Baker Mayfield. Bad position to go into. For mm-hmm. That's interesting. So that was the big, you know, miss with all that. And that, that cost him. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, he had, he had like guys like Antonio Callaway was suspended the year before from, from uh, Florida for discipline problems. He brings them in. And, you know, John, they'll roll the dice on people. But right. uh, you look at the roster, there's some really good guys that he brought in. And I'm kind of writing, it's fascinating because they went from heavy analytics with Flashy Brown and that, which is 2016 to 17, into we don't like analytics anymore. Mm-hmm. With Dorothy, although Paul D. Podesta, who was brought in by, uh, in 2016, brought in by Sashi Brown, we all want to get a job called Chief Strategy Officer. It's really a good <laughs> one. You kind of survive all that. Um, but I knew D. Podesta from baseball. He was a smart guy. And so after they got rid of Dorsey, then they went and turned the thing over to D. Podesta, who, uh, He's still heavy analytics, but they have, I think, some of the Dorothy Common Sense rolling in there, too. It, it, it's sort of a blending of them both, as it should be right now. Yeah. Um, and you also have where uh, everybody got lined up. The agendas aren't here that have been here for many years. The, the fighting between the coaches and GM goes way back for almost decades. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Okay, uh, so I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, you know, big thanks to Terry for sharing his insight and uh, an even bigger thanks to you for listening. Um, I hope we're worth your time. And if I can impose, I hope we're worth subscribing to, rating, and reviewing. It really helps us to get the word out. So uh, thanks to, to Savannah Smith uh, for putting this together. Thanks to everyone who called in, even those we couldn't get to this week. And again, the biggest thanks to you for listening. Let's do it again next week, win or lose. Have a good weekend. Be kind. <laughs>